0: Hi, we're here from curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes.
1: I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn why squinting helps you see. But first, you'll learn about a problem that a lot of researchers are dealing with these days, with some help from academic and author Joseph Regal.
0: Let's satisfy some curiosity. Social and life sciences are facing a crisis. It goes by a few names. The replicability crisis, or the replication crisis, or the reproducibility crisis. Whatever you call it, it's something you're going to learn about in a minute with today's guest, Joseph Regal. He's an associate professor of communication studies at Northeastern University and the author of the new book, Hacking Life, Systematized Living and Its Discontents. Here's our exchange about the replicability crisis and how scientists are addressing it. So, Professor Regal, would you mind giving a quick overview of that issue and how it's affecting life hackers particularly?
2: Oh, it's not easy to give a quick overview i'm afraid but the the general issue is that People have found out through some experimentation of late that a lot of the classic studies that you find in health and psychological sciences in particular don't replicate. That means if I go back and I do the same exact study, I don't get the same results. In fact, I usually find something much more disappointing than the original exciting advice that told us we need to take an expansive posture if we want to get the job. And there's a whole suite of fairly complicated issues going along with respect to people's methods and statistics and general overly credulous approach that scientists have taken to some of their findings in the past couple of decades. And people are pushing back on that a lot more strenuously now. For instance, people are saying to keep researchers from even inadvertently skewing their results. They should pre-register the design of their experiment. And have a very clear thesis that they're testing and be really rigorous on the statistics so that we don't end up with a study one week telling us coffee is good and a study the next week telling us coffee is bad.
0: And you're talking classic studies. We've covered, I think, a couple studies that have been uh, failed to stand up to the replication
2: test. I think the prison experiment, right? That's certainly receiving a lot of criticism now, yes. Mm -hmm. That was a classic social psychology study by Phil Zimbardo, where he divided groups of people into the prisoners and into the imprisoned. And He used that to argue that social context is really a huge determinative of human behavior. And when people act bad or evil, it's often their social context rather than their personality or some essentialist notion of a soul. Um, And that's received a lot of criticism now, both with respect to the methods and also the ethics.
0: Right. And even something as simple as the marshmallow test, I think they've had some issues replicating its exact results.
2: Oh, yeah. I use that. I, I taught the marshmallow test in my class for years and then a subsequent study came out. So the marshmallow test is they would put a marshmallow in front of a child and say, if you eat that marshmallow, that's it. But if I'm going to leave the room and get another marshmallow, and if you can forgo eating the marshmallow in front of you, I'll give you that extra marshmallow so you get two marshmallows. And then they followed up these kids over the years, and they found that the kids who were able to forego the marshmallow and to have some patience, they had much better quality of life, employment educational attainment scores than the kids who immediately shoved the marshmallow in their mouth. And so this seemed to speak to the fact that we really need to learn grit and perseverance and patience. And I'm not saying we don't, but in a subsequent study, I think back in 2015, they said, hmm, maybe it's not the personality of the kids so much. Maybe it's their environment. So they tweaked the study and they added another step. And that first step was for the the person who was proctoring the study to say, let's do crayons first before we even get to the marshmallow. And if you can forego playing with these dumpy old crayons, I'll go get you a nicer set of crayons. And then they came back five minutes later, and either they forgot the crayons or they remembered the crayons. And then they did the marshmallow study, and they found that the kids who could trust the proctor, who brought the nice new crayons, they were likely to forego the marshmallow. But the kids who were in the environment where they couldn't trust the adult they were more likely to eat the marshmallow. So maybe this correlation between personality and later uh, life outcomes wasn't between the personality and the outcomes, but maybe the kid's environment. Like if the kid grew up in an uh, impoverished home or if they had a lot of siblings, it was likely to snarf the marshmallow before they could. Maybe that's the thing that was happening and affecting their lives, not their personality.
0: Now look, your takeaway from this shouldn't be that science doesn't have any answers, because it totally does. The takeaway is that a lot of times, science is just more complicated than having clean, crystal-clear takeaways. There are a lot of variables in the world we live in, after all. And that's why you might want to be skeptical if a product or service guarantees that it has a definitive answer or it's a hard and fast quick fix for something, because that's not usually how life works. We talk about that all the time with sleep and exercise, right? Having said all that... You know we love our life hacks on this show. And that's why next week, you're going to hear once again from Professor Joseph Regal. Remember, he's the author of the new book, Hacking Life, Systematized Living, and Its Discontents. And we haven't even gotten around to the part of our conversation where we talked about life hacks yet. Tune in for the next few weeks to hear our Hacking Thursdays miniseries to learn how you can live an optimized life, what that means, and the difference between a hacked life and a meaningful one.
1: Today's episode is paid for by NHTSA.
0: Does this sound familiar? I'm not going very far.
1: I'm in a rush. It's too
0: uncomfortable.
1: Sometimes I just forget.
0: Don't kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death.
1: In 2017, more than 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 51% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts.
0: No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis and use ride sharing services too.
1: Cops are on the lookout and riding tickets, so why take the risk? In 2017 alone, seatbelts saved nearly 15,000 lives. So do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Look, up in the sky. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Whatever it is, it's incredibly small and blurry, and you're probably squinting to get it in focus. But why is it that squinting helps you see? Well, it all comes down to how your eye focuses light. Here's the science. Before you think about how your eyes see the world, let's think about how a camera sees the world. At its simplest, a film camera takes in light through a hole, or aperture, and exposes it onto light-sensitive film to create an image— Of course, if you just exposed film to light, you wouldn't actually get an image because every light particle, a.k.a. photon, would strike every area of the film willy-nilly. That's why cameras also focus light. They do that by narrowing the aperture to let in less random light and by adjusting the lens. A camera lens is a specially shaped piece of glass that bends the light waves that enter it so they all converge on a single point. And your eye works very similarly to a camera. It has an aperture, which is your pupil, a light-sensitive surface, which is the layer of rod and cone cells in the back of your eye, known as the retina, and a lens, which is, well, your lens. For both cameras and your eyes, most of the focusing happens in the lens. Your eyeballs actually contain a ring of muscle that helps to stretch and squish the lens into shape as you focus on things that are close up and far away. The lens helps to bend the light waves that enter your eye so they converge as a sharp image on the retina. And just like narrowing a camera's aperture can create a sharper image, narrowing your eyelids, that is squinting, reduces the amount of light coming in from all over and only lets in a small unidirectional quantity of light waves that pass closer to the center of the lens. Of course, squinting will only get you so far. If you find yourself squinting all the time, it might be a good idea to head to an optometrist and get fitted for glasses. There's a cool thing you can do that will focus light waves without squinting. Which is if you ball your fist up and you look through the little hole that it creates, and you look at something far away, it'll be a sharper image.
0: I wish I had taken a picture of you doing that to use as the thumbnail for this podcast episode. <laughs> Actually, just got a fist over. Her eye. Yeah, <laughs> one eye closed. It's great. You don't even have to squint, and you can see today's stories and more on curiosity.com.
1: Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious.
2: On the Westwood One Podcast Network.